uh, last weekend when you found out I would be uh, preaching today, and um, I'm very thankful for that. Actually, I think I told a lot of you who did come up to me last weekend and this week, um, you know, I'm praying for you. You told me that. I'm going to be praying for you. And I'm like, yes, awesome, because that's, that's, that's actually what I'm going to be talking about. So, you know, it worked out. And um, what I didn't do, though, is uh, kind of get into the specifics of it. I'm going to be talking about never giving up in prayer. So before we get into the message, I want you to take a listen to this famous speech. We shall fight in France, we shall fight on the seas and oceans, we shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. That speech by Winston Churchill, June 4th, 1940, to the British Parliament and indeed to the British people. He had to help his people through some very dark times. In six weeks, France fell in a colossal military failure, and the British expeditionary forces were pushed back to the coast. The threat of a Nazi German invasion of the British Isles was a stark reality. The English Channel is only 20 miles long from one side to the other. And the Germans owned the air. They had the air superiority. You know, we love to hear stories about not giving up, overcoming the odds when the world is falling apart to press on and to carry on, to never surrender, to never give up. You know, even in popular culture, it's in our music. And, uh, you know, some songs like uh, Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty, the late Tom Petty. You know, my daughter, she uh, was singing here in this worship center this past week, and she sang a song, and I think maybe some of you know it, um, This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. It's a, it's a song about not giving up on your dreams. The movies have mastered this theme of not giving up. Um, one of my favorite movie studios, Pixar Animation Studios, um, you guys know this story, I think, a father clownfish looking for his clownfish son in the vastness of the Pacific Ocean. And he finds him in an aquarium in a dentist's office in Sydney, Australia, guarded by one Darla Sherman, the outright fish terrorist. That's not giving up, if you ask me. Or another movie, actually considered one of the greatest movies of all, of all time. 
Portland, Maine, a man serving two consecutive life sentences for a crime he didn't commit. And with a little rock hammer, you guys know this one? Little rock hammer behind a Rita Hayworth poster, he knocks out that wall for 19 years to get to his freedom. We see it in real life too, of course. We know how the Allies were able to defeat Germany during World War II. But in recent news, the story of 12 boys trapped in a water-filled cave. 18 days in the dark. I don't know if you can fathom that. 18 days in the dark. One loss of life, but those boys get rescued and the world is riveted. They didn't give up. People didn't give up. You know, you have your own stories to tell. I know you do. Despite the odds, you didn't give up. We love when people don't give up, don't we? And did you know Jesus does too when it comes to prayer? So we're going to take a look at a principle that Jesus shares about concerning prayer and not giving up. And it's going to be found in Luke 18. Now, before we jump into that, I want to point out that some of you may have a header in your Bible in Luke 18. It's in the NIV. I read out of the NIV. And it says the parable of the persistent widow. Now, those aren't his words, Luke, as he penned that gospel. Those were kind of inserted. Those words were inserted by uh, the Bible translators just to kind of give a little bit of context and break up the passage a bit. Um, but if you type persistent widow in Google, you're going to get this passage. Okay, It's going to be one of your first hits. And um, if you're like me, you're thinking, I like that title. I mean, it's, the focus is on the widow. You see, there's another title that some translations do, and it's called the parable of the unjust judge. And I don't, I don't really care for that one because it, it places emphasis on the wrong person. I think the emphasis should be on this widow, because I can identify with her a little easier than I can with an unjust judge. Some of us think that the word persistent carries a, a negative connotation. And I suppose that depends on whose reference or frame of reference you're talking about. You know, see, if it's me being persistent, like if I need to make something happen, that's kind of a good positive thing, I think, for me to be persistent. So I think that's why it's important to focus on the widow and not the unjust judge that we're going to read about here in a moment. The word persistent, by the way, defined, adjective, the firm continuance in a course of action despite the difficulty. Remember that as we go through this passage this morning. The firm continuance in a course of action, despite the difficulty, even Jesus wants us to firmly continue in the action of prayer. So that brings us to our first point in the message. Jesus wants you to be persistent in prayer. He wants to show us that we should always pray and that we should never give up to persist in prayer. And so we're going to read this parable and uh, just understand that parables are lessons, okay? They're, um, 
they're done in such a way that they help us to sort of identify with the people in those stories. So you can put yourself in the shoes of someone in a parable. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 18. I'll just read it, but follow along with me, starting with verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, a good story draws us in. And I think this parable does just that. And hopefully we're drawn into the story with empathy towards the widow who keeps pleading, grant me justice, and not the unjust judge. Because uh, I can imagine this unjust judge in his mind doing this when he sees the widow. Oh, man, her again? Stop bothering me already. And that reminds me of a story. When I was a kid, I uh, was bothering my mom. Is my mom here? I didn't even get her permission at, to tell this story. Where's my mom? Mom, I, okay, you might remember this story a little differently. I, I remember it because it was quite traumatic. <laughs> I was bothering my mom. Mom, take me to the swimming pool. Take me to the swimming pool. And um, here's the weird thing. Is that I, I didn't even know how to swim. This is like, take me to the swimming pool. And so she got so sick and tired of this. She got so annoyed that she took me to the swimming pool. I'm going with mom to the swimming pool. Like, yes, I'm going to the swimming pool. This is going to be a lot of fun. And, um, well, I didn't know she was going to do this, but you know what she did to me? She picked me up, and she threw me into the deep end of the pool. And, uh, you know, I had a choice to make right there, right? Do I die or do I get out of the pool and tell mom, mom, that wasn't very nice. I, I don't know if I said that to her, and obviously I swam. By the way, I actually learned to swim because of that. And um, if you have kids and you want them to learn to swim in, like, you know, little money and little time, <laughs> go see my mom. She's got a five-minute lesson on how to do this, right? So... Uh, <laughs> That's a true story. It is. I, I was traumatized by that. See, I'm telling you this story because it's a contrast. An annoyed mom, okay, and I'm picking on moms because I get annoyed too. I'm a dad. My kids annoy me. An annoyed dad, an annoyed judge. God is not like that. He is not like that at all. This parable is showing us a contrast. We have to get that. The, just is un the judge is unjust. And by the way, he didn't even fear God. And we have the widow who has to face him. 
And it says it right there. Let's go right back into that passage in verses 2 and 3. In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. The judge is the difficulty in this story. He's against the widow, and that's plain to see. But let's read verses 4 and 5. For some time he refused, the judge. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. God is not against you or me like this unjust judge. He is for us, and we sang that this morning. That's the contrast. We know that because the Bible tells us this. In fact, it even says it right there in verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? And it's not like God is caving in. He, God caves in and grants justice to those who cry out to him day and night because he's so annoyed or God can't take it anymore, and he relents because we're bothering him so much. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. God is for us. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? God brings justice to those who cry out to him day and night. He has a a let's do this attitude. I don't know where I got that from. Let's do this. Is that like a Pixar movie? That's like Ratatouille, right? Let's do this. I like Pixar, apparently. God is just. Please do not forget this. He lifts up the brokenhearted. He defends the weak. This is what he does. There are lots of passages in the Bible about God's justness. Psalm 68.5 says, God is the father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. And make no mistake, God is just and upholds the cause and the cries of those who are treated unjustly. You know, Jesus did the same thing. You know, at the start of his ministry, when he went into the temple and he read from the prophet Isaiah... He said this, he, God, has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. And if there ever was such thing as a mic drop in the first century, he didn't have a mic, but he had a scroll. Because he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. Jesus came to set the oppressed free. He has come to bring justice. So back to our story. The widow keeps asking this unjust judge, grant me justice, grant me justice from my adversary. We often plead to God for something too, don't we? Perhaps it's to right a wrong or maybe we plead on behalf of someone. Maybe they're sick. Or maybe they've yet to open 
their heart to Jesus. Years ago, um, we were living, my family were living in Japan. And um, before I get into that, I've been praying for my dad for decades now. Um, not always consistently, though. He's, uh, well, I'll get into that in a bit, just that idea of not consistently. But we lived in Japan. I was young, 10, 11, something. And um, we were going to go and take a trip to Hawaii. Living in Japan, we're going to get on a, a space-available flight and go to Hawaii for our vacation. And to this day, I don't know how this happened. We did not land in Hawaii. We landed in the Philippines. Like, how does that happen? You get in a plane, you're supposed to fly east. We ended up going south, like almost to the equator. You get out of the airplane. What? Where are we? And, um, you know, those space available flights are a little weird. Some of you have probably taken them. I, I, don't, I took it once and that was it. I was done after that. I ain't doing that again. Because you kind of strap yourself into, I don't know, like a harness or something to the frame of the plane. It's like a C-130. I don't know what it is. And uh, you, you hope that the turbulence will knock you out or something. But anyways, we arrived in the Philippines and we didn't know anybody because we didn't even know we were going to be there. We find a Christian host family. They take us in. Mom, you remember this story? Yeah, she's nodding back there. Did you have anything to do with us getting to the Philippines? No? Okay. <laughs> and uh, we, we get hosted by this family. And um, I'm, uh, one night, I just remember, and Mom, I haven't told you this story. I remember one night laying there under the covers. And um, my mom and my dad are having a conversation with this Christian couple. I don't, I don't remember their names, but I do remember this. Uh, as I am sleeping under the blanket in the living room, and they're having this conversation, they don't know that I'm actually up, but I am. Uh, I hear, I remember these words. No, not interested. You see, that was my dad basically rejecting the good news of the gospel. And this, this Christian couple shared this gospel message with my dad. My mom's sitting right there. And um, I actually even remember kind of seeing through the material of the blanket as I'm laying on the floor. And I just see my dad there, and I see my mom next to him. And I see his resolute posture, his no, his emphatic no to the offer to receive Christ. And... I'm, this takes me back, actually. I'm laying there, and do you know what I'm doing? I'm crying. I'm, I'm weeping under this blanket. Because I heard a no. Now, I wish I could tell you that I prayed like that every day now for the past 37 years. With tears in my eyes. But I haven't. I have not been consistent in that. Not even close. A lot of times I just forget to do it. And I'm just thinking about other things to pray for, you know. And I'm going to just say it. I sometimes even wonder if God is going to answer my prayer. 
we forget to pray in the busyness of life. Or we think God isn't going to answer. Yeah, it happens to me too. And this is why Jesus tells us to persist in prayer. Remember the definition of that word persist? A firm continuance in a course of action despite the difficulty. You see, the difficulty is not found in God. It's found in us a lot of times, isn't it? We are our own difficulty. Whether it's busyness, forgetfulness, maybe even a crisis of faith. But take heart. Because even in the busyness and the forgetfulness and the things that shake your faith, God will always be for you. And his nature is kindness, which always brings you back to him. His mercies are ready to be poured out. God brings justice and mercy to those who cry out to him day and night. Even if you miss a day or days or seasons of days. And my hope is that one day God will bring justice and mercy by freeing my dad. Maybe your dad. Or maybe a loved one. From the oppression of the enemy. Satan hates when he has to let a prisoner go. Jesus came to free the oppressed. Church family, never give up that he can do that. Never give up that God's mercy pours out when you pray. By the way, when we sing together, it's much more than just words. You know, your worship goes up as a prayer to the Lord. The Psalms are filled with prayers going up in worship and praise. Let me turn your attention, though, to that story in Acts when um, Paul and Silas are in prison in Philippi. And here's the story. It's a really neat story. Paul and Philippi have been thrown in jail. Uh, Paul and Silas have been thrown in jail in Philippi because, um, well, there, were, uh, there was this slave girl. Actually, she was twice enslaved. You see, she was enslaved by these men who had taken advantage of her because she was enslaved by an evil spirit that gave her some ability to prognosticate or perhaps tell the future. Now, I don't even think that that's, you know, I don't think the enemy can do that kind of thing, but somehow uh, she would be able to say, I don't know, silly things like, uh, tomorrow morning uh, when you wake up, take the first left turn when you leave your home. Stuff like that, okay? It's not real. But she's following them, Paul and Silas, and saying things like, these are the servants of the Most High God, they're going to tell you about the way. They're going to show you the way. And um, I don't think she actually said it like that because we know Paul was really annoyed. She probably said it more like this. These are the servants of the Most High God. They're going to tell you how to be saved. I mean, she was doing that for days. And it got Paul so upset that he turned around and he commanded that spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, get out of her. And it left her immediately. Well, 
he freed her from that spirit. But these, uh, these owners, these guys that were taking advantage of her, well, they weren't going to have any of that because they just basically, their income stream just came to an end, her ability to do this. And they threw Paul and Silas in jail. And so, Acts 16, 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Your worship can be prayers. And people are listening. Even today, we sang these beautiful worship songs, lifting them up in praise and prayer. Praise is rising. Hearts are turning to you, Jesus. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. And when we see you, all our fears are washed away. People need to hear this about Jesus. So sing out when you praise him. And let your worship be your prayer and never lose sight of that. When Paul and Silas were singing and praying, the prisoners were freed because the jail doors blew open and earthquake came. But guess who else was freed? A jailer and his household. They were freed from the enemy. Hallelujah. So keep on praying for his return as we sing praises and prayers to the Lord. Luke 18, 8 says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is actually challenging us all throughout history to pray unceasingly for his return. By the way, I feel the need to comment a little bit on this idea of prayer. Uh, in this particular context, you guys have probably noticed a little bit of the social climate in terms of prayer. And you guys have heard this, you know, um, people, this reaction to the idea that we would pray for something. You know what I'm saying? Like pray for Orlando or pray for the victims of. And there's this backlash to that, like, that means nothing. Don't even say that. Would we ever stop saying we're sorry for your loss? Would we ever stop saying our condolences? No, of course not. So why would we stop saying that we're praying for someone or a situation? If there is anything that is loaded with action, it's prayer. I don't have arms that can stretch that far to a family that's hurting in another part of the world. And my money runs out. But what I can do is pray. Because Jesus does, and he's even now praying for you. It says in John 17 that he never gives up praying. Jesus never gives up praying that we would be kept from evil. That we would be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. That we would be reunited with him. And that encourages me to keep praying for my dad. You see, he's not a believer still. But I've seen a change in him. Today, the mood is much different than 
that living room in the Philippines. Dad prays with us when we pray together as a family. He responds to being prayed for and is thankful for it. So maybe you've given up in the forgetfulness or the busyness or even in some of the crises that you face. Maybe you've given up praying for something or someone. And today I want you to know that Jesus calls you to persist in your prayers. To watch him pour out his mercies as you pray. And to keep praying until he returns. I'll end with this speech by Winston Churchill. Given to his alma mater, October, 30, October 29th, 1941. Um, the U.S. hadn't officially entered the war yet, not until December of that year. And he's giving this, this speech to his beloved school. Never give in. Never give in. Never Never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except for convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We stood all alone a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished all this tradition of ours, our songs, our school history, this part of the history of this country were gone and finished and liquidated. Very different is the mood today. Britain, other nations thought, had drawn a sponge across her slate. But instead, our country stood in the gap. There was no flinching and no thought of giving in, and by what seemed almost a miracle to those outside these islands, though we ourselves never doubted it. We now find ourselves in a position where I say that we can be sure that we have only to persevere to conquer. Church family, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Look to Jesus. Never give up that he can accomplish his purpose in you and through you. Keep praying and never give up.